What I've probably described with my own work journey is that there's been quite some chapters in it. There's been time where I've taken some back time to do look after my kids. There's been times now where I'm travelling more internationally. And I think as a young physio, I think in my 20s, I just wanted to go and achieve everything I could. Um, And now I look back with a slightly older head and I think the advice I would give is that you don't have to achieve it all at once. There can be chapters to your work life, to your, your world, and don't be too down if you don't tick off something in one chapter. You might get there in the next one. Welcome to the Find the Gap podcast, where we're going to focus on the health and well-being of the support personnel and practitioners within high-performance sport. This will act as a platform for practitioners to share their own insights and experiences that have helped them progress to where they are today, as well as be a safe environment in which they can touch upon moments of vulnerability and other emotional battles in which they've had to overcome in order to be successful. My name is Sam, and thanks for joining me on the Find the Gap podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Sustainable Sports. Sustainable Sports is an apparel company designed for every athlete. Every piece of apparel is produced and made from recycled plastic bottles, which at the end of the period of use can be returned to be remade into the new model. 80% of discarded textiles can just sit there for more than 200 years, which emits methane, a powerful greenhouse gas that is more potent than carbon. Sustainable Sports looks to be the apparel company that uses 100% recycled polyester fabric to help protect the planet. Their products are designed to look and feel great in order to boost the performance of those wearing them. Sustainable Sports understands the difficulties in community level sports and the struggles that local clubs have to endure throughout the season to get the players on the park. Sustainable Sports is made up of the individuals who are passionate and involved within sports at the grassroots levels. So today I'm talking to Dr. Gaylene McKay. Gaylene has been a physio for over 30 years uh, and is a APA titled sports physiotherapist. She's completed a PhD degree where she investigated injuries in basketball with a focus of recurrent ankle sprains. She's also lectured at physiotherapists about the management of ankle injuries for many years. She's the managing director of the Alphington Sports Medicine and also had a clinical role at the clinic. Gaylene is the current physiotherapist for the Australian women's Opals basketball team, having recently returned from the Tokyo Olympics. She also works with the Melbourne Boomers in the Women's National Basketball League. Her interest in basketball extends from her own participation in the sport, where she played 348 games and won six championships over 17 years in the Women's National Basketball League. She also works for the Victorian Calisthenics team, and she has previously worked in the netball at the Commonwealth Games and with the Victorian netball team. And on top of all that, Gaylene is a physiotherapist advisor for WorkSafe Victoria and Transport Accident Commission clinical panels. Uh, these roles see her discuss treatments and mentor other physiotherapists. Uh, and Gaylene is also a mother of three children and a friend and mentor to many. So without any further ado, here's the discussion with Gaylene. Um, all right, cool. So, Gaylene, uh, thanks for jumping on. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. That's good. I'm up here in uh, quarantine in Queensland, um, coming back from the Tokyo Olympics. So, Perfect. So how's quarantine for you? Um, quarantine's been okay. We're certainly in a room by ourselves, um, very much that hotel quarantine. Um, I'm lucky up on the Gold Coast that we've got a balcony and a sea view. Um, the weather's quite nice. I'm sitting here in a T-shirt. So um, it's as good as it can be uh, for having to do this 14 days. 
um, after the Olympics. Now, because there's been a lot in the media about doing the double um, isolation, have you got to experience that if you're going to go interstate or are you staying staying in the in Queensland? No, I'm not staying in Queensland, but um, my understanding is the Victorian government, I'll come back down to Melbourne, um, the Victorian government uh, will, as long as we stay, uh, the, the quarantine itself is, means I'm in a green zone and as long as we don't go wandering out to the community, so we literally go from the hotel to the airport um, and home, then we're considered that we've been in a green zone. So that's what we've got to do. Okay, well, oh, all the best for it. It's not exactly the most uh, fun experience to go through. Uh, but yeah. uh, moving, on, moving on to yourself, uh, could you just give me just a little short background of uh, educational background, maybe where you've come from, how you got to where you are now? Sure. Um, so I, um, I studied physio, but I'm interested in physio probably came about, um, I started playing WNBL basketball at the age of 14. So when I was still at high school um, and sort of watched, I had to have an ankle injury treated myself, um, which got me interested in being a physio and I watched other players around me being injured and uh, was sort of drawn into studying physio, which I did um, concurrently while I was playing WNBL as well. So busy time of my life, but um, something I'm glad I persisted through. so I uh, graduated many years ago from what was Lincoln Institute, which became Latrobe Uni's physio course. Um, and um, probably maybe a couple of years after I finished um, and I was working in private practice, I transferred from the Nutterwood Inspectors, where we'd had a lot of success with a lot of um, titles, WNBL titles, across to Bulleen Boomers, which is now Melbourne Boomers. Um, and when I came across from there, it was probably a real start for me where I was both in the team as a player, but I was also the team's physio. So I almost wore dual caps, which had interesting times in its own right. Um Towards the latter part of my career, I then started a master's of physio by research, which, um, of course, I did something that was just way too big. So that became my PhD. So once I finished, uh, I did sort of eventually finish um, my basketball career, um, started having a couple of kids. And in that sort of early stages when they were young, I finished my PhD by research as well. So um, that's probably sort of, you know, where I guess my educational stuff um sits but there's sort of probably dimensions then to my work life um rather than just working as a a sports physio as well yeah and your phd was surrounding injuries if i'm not correct yeah it was in basketball injuries with a focus on ankle injuries okay cool. Um, very very related to yourself then yes very related (laughs) And it was actually an ankle injury that took me to the physio as in the first instance as a teenager. Um, but ankle injuries were not something that really plagued me uh, in my basketball career, but it was certainly has been uh, in, in pivotal in some of the decisions I've made in my life. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Um, given this period of uncertainty and, you know, that requires such adaptability, and you also expressed recently in, I think it was one of the articles that's posted on your work website about adapting to the uh, very close turnaround between games in the NBL season because of COVID last year. Um, and now you've gone off to the Olympics, which is an even intense, more intense scenario. But how do you kind of deal with that intense atmosphere of quick turnaround between games, <laughs> injuries coming left, right and centre, 
just staying calm in that kind of environment? Um, oh, look, I think I know what works ahead of me um, and you just, you know, get into a rhythm and a routine of what you're doing. So, you know, sort of post-game there'll be ice baths, recovery massages, you know, f- recovery food coming. But, so you get into it and then sort of probably the next day you'd then be doing some treatments. And so you get into a bit of a pattern. Um, but I guess in that pattern then to help your sanity is that you've got to find things for you in there. So, you know, in that WNBL season, I certainly would get up and walk most mornings, um, almost before breakfast, just to get that little bit of exercise in, a bit of me time in, so that you're still balancing what you, because uh, physio is a very giving profession. So you're sort of giving a lot um, and you've got to make sure that you find that balance that you have time for yourself as well, making sure you get enough sleep, you know, get enough food for yourself. Um, get some exercise in for yourself, have people around to talk to, those sorts of things, um, I think are really helpful in managing that. And when you're in a team environment, you often, from a staffing point of view, will have other people around you. It's not just the athletes. And uh, the coaches are going through similar things as well. So it becomes quite a a unit that we can sort of um, uh, support each other and um, and keep each other um, checks, checks and balances along the way, I guess. Hmm. And kind of adding on to that um, with what you, t- you grabbed a few tips and tricks there to deal with that, which is fantastic. But uh, with that intense uh, schedule, how would you define the term mental toughness throughout all that? So it's interesting. Mental toughness, I think, for me is, I think mental toughness comes from a sense of resilience so that you You've experienced these in the past and you've learned how to manage them. So it might not be in such an intense way. But with that resilience, you have to then not be anxious. So I think if, if you've experienced things before but you're anxious, you won't react well in a situation. So mental toughness for me in that is knowing what I'm going to expect um, and then not being anxious about it and just dealing with it as it comes, knowing that there will always be supports and time you know time off etc so I think it's sort of that combination does it make sense to you of, of, resi- of that resilience versus a not just yeah 100% that does um and was that has that been ever threatened at any time for you as in like have you ever felt like your own kind of mental toughness within you has been vulnerable at any stage throughout your career um, no, not really. Um, but sometimes after, like this, this recent one's been a two-month-long tour. Um, you know, by the time we get home out of this quarantine, um, and I think sometimes it's not until I've come into quarantine that you realise perhaps how tired you got, um, and that you didn't realise that you were almost, I guess, living on a bit of adrenaline until you actually stop. Um, so uh, it's sometimes it's not until after. Uh, that I realised, well, that was actually a lot to deal with. Uh, but while I'm in it, I'm just dealing with it and rolling with it um, and it's later on reflection. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of if you react in the wrong way during the time, it's you kind of think it's not really the kind of job for you or the kind of business for you. If you're flowing with it, that's almost like a, a skill you pick up with the job, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Not saying that everything is smooth sailing. Like there'll be little oh, no. highs and lows and, you know, um, but as I said, like 
as a collective staff, like we all sort of pick each other up a little bit if you're just having a bit of a, and, and you know, it might only be a wobbly five minutes. Um, you know, it's not a whole day that we really, you know, but it's just that uh, that's the nice thing about sport is that you're working in a collaborative environment um, and uh, you can work together to get through things. Yeah. Now, touching on that, uh, obviously the, the whole nation saw uh, the girls do so well over in Tokyo, uh, you know, the close game, against uh against china just lost you know the really good win against puerto rico um and then that really harsh loss against america at the end and you could see the emotion on the on the girl's face um having to come home after that but not touching on their wellness on on your own as a support practitioner obviously you said that kind of close-knit team is really important for yourself you've got that benefit within sport but how did you how did you take that loss how did you deal with that knowing that all right i've got to support these girls that are you know their dreams have been they haven't achieved their dreams this this uh this olympics i've got to try and support them but also i've worked so hard for this myself how can you just describe a little bit how you were going through that loss Yeah, I think um, it's interesting in my role. I think the coaches have more of a role. uh, I will have some support role. The coaches do a lot of debriefing with the girls. Um, I guess I'm there for anyone who wants to talk to me. Um, And sometimes the girls will lean on each other a lot. They'll come to the staff a lot. You've just got to be ready to talk and be ready to support if they need it. Mm You're just non-judgmental listening is what you've got to do. Um, And, of course, yes, you're disappointed too, but I can't be more disappointed than what they are because they're the ones that are the athletes. They're the ones that are out on the floor. I'm there to support them. I'm disappointed for them. I'm disappointed, you know, that we're not continuing on. But it's not my role to be selfish Mm. and take all the woe is me. My job is to continue to support them. and as I said, like, you know, down the track when you have time off, you can then start to process things a little bit too. I think it's uh, the role of a physio or anyone sort of, you know, team manager, massage therapist, whoever it is, even our strength, our strength and conditioning coach, we all are supportive to the girls um, and we will keep that support going, mm. um, whatever they need. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Because obviously you're, being the physiotherapist, you're, you know physically touching them constantly you're that close relationship with them um and the whole nation would back up just being me and saying that you know we're very proud of what they've done what is what they've gone over there and done is such a huge achievement and you know we all love watching them and to continuously reassure them throughout um coming back after a loss you know does it ever get heavy for yourself does it ever get um, you know, again, like, have I got to put their well-being instead of mine at any stage, especially being away from home? Yeah, always, always, I put their well-being first. I can have time for me later, um, but they're the first. They're the important people. Um, I mean, that's my job. That's what I'm away for. So I don't, you know, deviate from that. But I'll have my time as well at some stage. Um, but I need to be there for the support that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the um, I sort of spoke about the mental toughness and I think that what went on in um, Vegas and then on into Tokyo, those girls had to show a lot of resilience um, and and do that without being anxious to go and just get on with the job. And I, hopefully that's what um, Australia saw a lot of is just a little bit of uh, a resilient bunch that really went out there to give it their best shot. Yeah. For sure. No, we definitely did. Um, and 
uh, we'll touch on the Liz Cambridge episode transition from Vegas to uh, to Tokyo later. But even just because she's obviously, it's not hard to say that she's a massive player of the team, not the whole team, but a, a big player. But again, showing that resilience to okay, that's happened. Let's go to the next game. Let's go to Tokyo. Let's earn mm-hmm. that that spot on the on the on the podium. And I, I, they did amazingly. Like we were buzzing watching them. And they did well. They did very well. With yourself on that kind of world stage, because you are on the world stage representing Australia, do you feel pressure at all? Um, it's interesting because we don't just all of a sudden land on that stage. You know, I've been working with this group for four years. So you kind of have that. It, things just build up, relationships build up, you get to know injuries. So it's not something, it's just sort of part of the journey, if that sounds um, reasonable about it, is that you don't just land on that stage and be overwhelmed by that stage. You have a lot of preparation um, to get to that point. Although, you know, albeit this time leading into Tokyo, there wasn't the usual preparation that we would have. Um, Standard preparation for us going into a major tournament like a World Tour and Olympics, I think the coach would like to have probably around about seven international matches where we had one and a close scrimmage. That's all we had preparation-wise. So um, difficult we can't, you know, difficult because of COVID um, to do the preparations that we've needed to. But, uh, look, I mean, I get nervous for when the girls have got a big game, like that US game, like we're all a bit nervous, but I've still got to keep calmness. Mm-hmm. I've got to keep a, an outside of calmness um, and be there to do my job and not get overwhelmed. Um, you can't get overwhelmed in it. You've got to get be in there and be level-headed um, to do your job well, I think. Yeah, for sure. I want to move on to more of the topic about women in sport. Um, obviously, the past decade, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, trying to get equality in terms of pay, uh, notoriety, the visibility of women in sport, which I think we're getting better at gradually. Um, from your experience, do you think there's a similar kind of issue with women practitioners in sport? Um, so it's interesting. Our physio world is probably really historically been a female-dominated industry quite interestingly, um, if, that if I look at my mentors, you know, the people older than me, they're most of them are female. Not all of them now, but a lot of the, the original ones were female. So for a long time it was something like 10 or 20% males in the physio course. That's probably swinging around a little differently now. So for me I've never had problems in the physio world of having female mentors um, mm. or getting jobs where I think it probably is an interesting thing is that in some of the male sports so like say your um your AFL for example for example and I'm not you know going to be deeming them wrong but I've watched some of my young female practitioners go into some football clubs and they have to work doubly hard to sort of feel like they get accepted um so uh, there is still a little bit of judgment in what is probably very male-orientated sports traditionally. Um, I mean, now we've got women's football. I, I'm hoping that that will be part of the evolution. Um, and I certainly know as far as sports doctors are concerned, we've got some fabulous female sports doctors working in AFL clubs and absolutely doing fine as well. So I feel like there's a shift there. The right practitioner in the right environment will do a great job. Um and as I said, I probably in the past have had enough female mentors myself um, that I I haven't seen it as a barrier, but I could understand that there could be a perception out there for some. 
Yeah, for sure. Now that's that's very interesting that um you bring up that point. Um, because I, I would completely completely agree with that. I have I've no rebuttal against what would you say as being a, a female dominated um industry, um and then what is uh women trying to trying to really get their foot in the door with in men's sport, uh, and trying to get again working doubly as hard to um to make it in that industry because well, it's almost where that's where more money is, isn't it, at the moment, especially as an athlete, but practitioners as well yeah correct correct yeah. um yeah there's just more money in men's sport around so which is sad but it's true well like you're saying aflw is coming up um the women's nbl has been there for a while women's soccer has gone crazy the 2023 world cup like i think it's really going places um and you know like it's just going to take time we we mentioned about how you don't feel too much pressure being that you're being with the girls for so long and you don't just like have that first instance that you're jumping into the into the world stage, um, which builds that comfort and that confidence. And then you've been in the industry for years and you've gained all this experience and knowledge. Have you ever felt throughout your career doubt in your knowledge or that kind of imposter syndrome what people talk about where you think, oh, you know, do I know enough to be where I am? You know, is there someone better than me that should be here? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think there's probably been one physio um, who I felt like at times would question me, um, but I've realised that I can't let that one person influence the rest of my self-belief. Um, so it's interesting. Um, I sometimes go, okay, if I had to put myself through an interview, you know, what things would you say that would lead you to be the best person for this position? And there's quite a range of things that mean, you know, that I that would contribute me to being the right person for the position as well. So, um, and, you know, you do have other people um, talk positive to you as well. So I try to not be affected by the minority um, and, and sort of, you know, but, you know, sometimes it will knock your self-belief a little bit, but you've got to pick yourself up and just go, no, I can do this. And then the more that you do it, the more that you realise, yeah, you, you're you comfortable in this job. Mm. Is that associated with that feeling you were talking about before about, you know, the, the intense schedule of just going one game after the other or training so close and you're just getting that kind of pattern? Is that kind of linked with that? It just becomes routine and becomes pattern and you don't have to, don't second guess yourself, you just fall into it? Yes, it probably falls into it. The other thing that um, uh, it's not just the routine. So sort of for me, what I think is really good, uh, which we haven't spoken about yet, is that I also do some work for WorkSafe and TAC. Um, so which sort of, uh, so a lot of these elite athletes now, this is their job. So, you know, Basketball Australia or whoever the WNBL clubs are their employers. So when I deal with a lot of work-related injuries in a physio advisor role, um, I'm looking at a lot of psychosocial impacts of injuries on and um, and that's unbelievably powerful for when I come into the basketball world as well. So, so I can get that sort of psychosocial nature of injuries and well-being. Um, I've been an ex-player, so I get that from a player's perspective, how they, you know, hey, they don't want to be kept out if they don't have be or, you know, I relate to that. I've coached um, basketball, so I get it from a coach's perspective as well. So... I don't know if I'm kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, but I feel like it's sort of, um, yeah, all of that sort of gives quite a rounded, that's not just that getting into a routine. Um, there's mm. a wide range of things that contributes to me being able to do this job well. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, now, you, you touched on there for a second about um, being an ex-player and being in such an intense scheduled industry. You know, you're always going, going, going. Uh, how do you feel that your own kind of physical training, you said before, you go for walks and stuff, you know, to keep yourself you know, well in such ways, but how do you feel like your own physical training is important to be able to do your job? Yeah, definitely. So for me, I know when I'm away um, for, you know, like a month or two months trip, I'll probably do anywhere between 15 and 23,000 probably steps a day. Um, So uh, that's why I probably do a lot of walking. I just get on my feet and do that sort of number of steps. Um, I try and, you know, keep some degree of some sort of strength program as well. Um, I just try and keep myself somewhat fit to do the job. Um, so uh, there is a little bit of my own training to keep myself at a level where I can keep doing the, the physical demands of the job as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's been a very common uh, topic of the guys I've been talking to um, their own training and their effectiveness to produce their their craft or, or their service you know and if one falls short it affects the other and it's that kind of cyclical pattern you know their training affects their job affects their wellness affects their training affects their wellness it just goes in a cycle uh, and I think people that have really been uh, game changing and trying to change that has been you know, change one and it helps the rest and it goes in that cycle. You just change one aspect, you change your own training or you change how you provide your job or you change your own mental state and then, then it works in that cycle and then it just all fits into place. Um, yeah, correct. Yeah, agree. And yeah, so when, when you go to your regular practice, not so much uh, when you're out on a tour or duty on tour, uh, how are you kind of dealing with a bad day? So bad day at home, bad day at something's happened in the street. I don't know what it is. And then you've got to give that a miss, put it behind you, deal with what's in front of you. How do you kind of do that? Um, I think I have developed an act over the years of just compartmentalising things. So, you know, try not to take work home to work, try not to take work to home. Um, like in saying that, that sometimes there needs to be a bit of a debrief done in either of those or, you know, we're in the team. So, um, but I think it's just a matter of, um, I guess, almost coming back to a little bit of that resilience too, just knowing that it's not always going to be this bad. Things will get better. You know, you just got to work through things um, with the support of people around you, mm. whether it be family, work colleagues, you know, um, support staff when you're, when you're with a team. Mm, yeah. And have you felt that way throughout your whole career? Like initially when you started as a younger practitioner, um, was it more prevalent to show your emotions when you had a bad day or am I wrong in saying that? Um, I probably would think um, I would worry about things a little bit more. So that's sort of me talking perhaps about that anxiety just being a little bit higher because you maybe question your own self-confidence. So I think as I've become older and a bit more wiser and more confident, um, I've become a little less, I guess, worrying about some of the little things. Um, so I don't want to trivialise trivialize things, but I kind of get a bit of a perspective of what's worth worrying about, what's not worth worrying about, what can be solved tomorrow, park it for now, you know, done what you can do, sort of those sorts of attitudes. I think I've probably developed better as I've got older. Mm. And especially during um, today's world with, COVID going on, it feels like all our little lo- our little worries are meaningless and the smallest things ever when you've got this big pandemic to deal with. That's right. And 
Um, you know, for me, um, I think this might have been one of your other questions, but dealing with change, like that's often a hard day at work is when, you know, you know, restrictions change. All of a sudden there has to be big changes in what, you know, what's happening in the workplace. Um, and I think, you know, you can't be too anxious about that. You've just got to almost be calm, work stepwise through things um, and get to the end of it. Um, you know, you're going to have to get from point A to point B somehow. You can do it with a lot of angst or you can just try and stay calm as you can and work through all the points. Um, what I tend to find is because uh, I manage a practice and we've probably got about 40 to 50 you know, between clinicians and staff, we've probably got over 50 in that workplace that some deal with that differently. So I can't be highly strung if I'm going to be dealing trying to keep everyone else um, calm and afloat. Uh, you know, you can't be that distressed leader. You've got to actually lead calmly. Um, and I think that's the best way to lead. Um, and probably, hopefully, over the years, I've got better and better at doing that. Yeah, for sure. Well, throughout your experiences that you've um, had as a practitioner, where have you felt the most vulnerable? It's an interesting question. I think the most vulnerable um, would be the sort of first or second days of new jobs, you know, where you really are starting. That's something new. You know eyes are going to be on you, watching you, wondering how you're settling into the job. That's probably, they're probably the times I felt most vulnerable until I got my confidence that, you know what, I've got this job. I'm right, you know. So, um, I mean, and luckily I haven't had, well, there's always going to be first, but there's it's not like I've been at the clinic that I'm at now for so many years. I've been at WorkSafe for 13 years. I've been for TAC for probably, I don't know, two or three years. So there's not too many firsts um, now, but um, but I have to say in reflection, any new job is a stressful change point in your in your world. I don't I think it doesn't matter what age you are. Yes, for sure. If you're talking about stress and managing your own practice. Being slightly responsible for those 50 to 40 odd practitioners and staff members, how does that load feel for you? That, does, that, does that stress you out in any way? Like, or how are they doing at home? How can I make them better? At, you know, what can I do? Yeah. Um, oh, look, I feel very a sense of responsibility. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, um, but I've also probably over the years developed a fairly good. Um, admin team around me as well so um, like for instance we've gone through where I think lockdown five and lockdown six have really all happened while I've been away um, and I can have that trust that um, that my course staff that are you know running the admin sort of side of the practice can help kick that in place um, I'm you know I'm there in the background um, so I do feel a sense of responsibility, but I feel like I sort of share that load across with others as well. And I feel like um, I would hope at the clinic we've got a fairly good team sort of, you know, that we support each other, that all the support doesn't have to come from me. We work at supporting, I'll, I'll try and support everyone, but we all work at supporting each other as well. So to really make that workplace a real team environment as well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Because I think a lot of people I've talked to have been in this industry. It's it's natural for them wanting to be the support person all the time. You know, it's your job to support an athlete. That's your job or your job to support the, the client coming through. Um, but then, you know, 
you work into a role where you're you're responsible for uh, employees. You know, some people feel over responsible. They want to support them more so than they necessarily need to. And then that leads to extra stress. But it seems like you've got a system where you said you've employed um, a lot of admin workers who help you out, who the, do that support network for yourself and for everyone else in your in your in your system. Um, and then that obviously came with time as well, which is again fantastic. But it's a very common thing that I've seen is that need to always support no matter what it is, and that that dedication to others rather than yourself. Yeah, I think I, even though, I, you know, when I am back at the clinic, I'll try and have touch points with most of the clinicians that are there just so that they know. But I also have a fairly good understanding, I would hope, of all of them. And so I know the ones that will be a bit more anxious in this situation, others that will be a bit more pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of uh, you learn over time um, to, I guess, lead for what helps them as well. Yeah. Um, and that's probably... Uh, and you know, probably evolved over some years as well. Um, I want to go talk, touch back onto more of a, an athlete, but going back to the Opals, uh, can you, have you learnt really to kind of recognise any signs and symptoms of mental deterioration at all with the athletes? I know that's not necessarily your role. You're looking for the, the physical capabilities of them and trying to basically uh, treat those but do you notice people when they talk to you on the table that they're saying things that are a bit worrisome or have you picked up on those things throughout your career oh definitely um so um i can see that there's some athletes within that that opals program they're a little bit more anxious or um carry stress a little bit harder um carry worry you know than others that are quite level-headed um and it's been something that I have suggested that the um, that the Opals actually travel with a sports psych because I feel like I'm I'm recognising, um, particularly as I was talking about before, with my background with the work safe work and those psychosocial impacts on injuries, etc. That's another whole discussion, really. But it's um, I know that the, the role of the psychologist in not only managing some of their the distress around some of their injuries, particularly if it's an important time, but just the performance stress as well. Um, so I'm hoping we'll see over there. I can see it, um, uh, but I just and I've got some skills to help with that. But I'm hoping that um, you know sports psychologists will become more integral in in teams. Um, than perhaps what they are now. I think they're creeping in, um, but we need to have probably uh, more. We need to value um, the athlete's mental health as much as we, or as much as we do their physical health as well. Um, and the two often go together. Yeah, hundred percent. And you said that when you recognise that, you know, you're trying to act upon it and work with a sports psych is very recommended. When you're working with the workers, you know. What's the next steps with that? Do you, do you have tools and techniques you use yourself or do you just pass on to a recommendation to another source? Um, well, sometimes because, you know, what it all happens in athletes as well. Like an, an injured worker gets an injury and there, there's a lot of things that go through their brain. Am I going to be able to go back to work? Am I going to be able to um, have a secure income? That's now the same with a lot of elite athletes too. You know, is this injury going to impact my income? Am I going to be able to continue to work? Um, some of those, because um, so I've worked in that sort of industry for so long, I've got some strategies where I can talk things through and try and talk some logical discussions because some of it might be a little bit of almost catastrophizing over what's happening. Um, where So there's some strategies. But, look, if it gets beyond what I've 
also recognise my skill set in where my lane is. Um, and sometimes I need to shift them over to a psychologist, whether it's an injured worker or an injured athlete. I need to get a psychologist involved um, to try and get the best outcome for um, whether it is an athlete or an injured worker. Yeah, and, and it's even important when you're mentioning about compartmentalising your uh, your life. So, you know, you went at work, you focus on work. When you have something, you're troubling you at home, you don't bring that with you. So then if you do have to make those decisions or, or, or talk to those athletes or workers um, in a, you know, if you're in a distressed mindset, you might say the wrong things or you might give the wrong advice or um, set someone backward. Not saying you would, but I'm just as a. No, as a that's as right. A, you can't. You can't. You've got to have a clear mindset um, for every person that comes to you to yeah. be treated. No, for sure. Um, and I understand that you're in quarantine right now, but what would you say that you're struggling with the most at the moment? <sighs> Oh, now that's a, you know, it's interesting. I'm not struggling with that much at the moment, really, overall. Like, I probably know, actually, the one thing I'm probably struggling with right now is this is the end of the longest tour I've probably ever been on, that it was going to be two months. So other times long tours before COVID would be, you know, four weeks, mm-hmm. um, maybe four to five weeks. But this is sort of tipped into seven, almost eight weeks because of COVID and the quarantine that we've got to do at the end. And the thing that I probably struggle with the most is just not being able to see my family. You know, it's a sacrifice you make to work with the team to do this work. But on the other hand, um, all of us that do it know that we probably sacrifice some time with our family. So that's the one thing I'm probably what's going to solve that is just me getting out of quarantine, getting home, reconnecting with them all again. So um, that's probably, uh, you know, what I'm struggling with the most at the moment. Hmm. Well, being away from family for such a long time, is there things that you seem to do more or less of that you've noticed? Well, I guess you probably do more sort of contact through various mediums um, while you're away, whether it's, you know, text messages. We've, you know, my family's got a group, you know, messenger group, and we send photos and, you know, so there might be some FaceTime, um, some Zoom calls. Like you just do things where normally you do that face-to-face that you just have to find a different way to do it. Um, The trickiest thing becomes is when you're in very different time zones. So when we're in Tokyo, it was only an hour difference. So things were easier to find that little bit of time. And that might have been the you time that I was talking about, that you just need to connect with your family that for that, you know, 15, 20 minutes mm. to level you for the, you know, for the day. Um, but, you know, when we're in Vegas and there was a big time difference, there was only sort of some small windows where, and we you just, but you learn to live with that and you make those opportunities in those windows. Yeah, no, I can definitely relate to that. I was a, a, a collegiate athlete over in America, so Skyping, Friends and family back home was a task and a half. Um, waking up early in the morning or staying up late. Um, but it's it's interesting, again, to get people's responses for that because when people think that they're struggling for different reasons or different things, for example, yourself being away from family, um, and then I ask that question of what, what they're doing more or less of, um, it's it's interesting to see what they, so some people react in doing, they do less of what they usually do in terms of exercise because they're feeling down or they're doing more of like, you know, binging or, you know, lacking at work, whatever it might be, or some people react in the complete opposite way. They are struggling with something at work. They do they how they react to that is they do more at work. They they over um, energize at work, or they over commit to work, where they do less or slacking off. Um, so yeah, but obviously it's always individual to what people are struggling with. So it's good to get mm-hmm. your. Time. 
Um, now, I want you to give me, if you can think of a skill or ability that you've um, oversold to people or overestimated to some people in the past. Um, tricky question. Okay, so I think what I like to sell to people is that they can be the best version that they can be. Um, and sometimes I just need to make sure that what I think is their best version of them is what they think is their best version of them too. Just make sure that our goals are aligned. Um, there you go. <laughs> Quick response. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, what would you say is an embarrassing event that's happened to you in the past that has had a permanent effect on you? And that effect could either be a bad or a good effect. Yeah, I, I struggle to answer this one, but this one I'm going to probably take back to a sporting rather than a work, a sporting thing. I started playing basketball as a nine-year-old and was probably there was no under eights or under tens, so I was playing with sort of 11 and 12-year-olds, so girls were probably a bit older than me. And I actually didn't have the best capacity to, um, with basketball, like throwing, catching ball skills, being that bit younger. And it was like embarrassing to me. I'm like, I, my brain knew what I wanted to do, but my body wasn't doing it. And I think from then I just worked so hard to absolutely get those skills in place that I ended up doing very well in the game. But it was, that was sort of that embarrassing start. Well, I can't let this happen. This is, I need to, uh, I need to rectify this. I need to work hard and get to a different place with it. Hmm. And that I did. Do you reckon that kind of dedication is turned, like you transfer that towards your, uh, your work and your practice? I think that's, uh, yeah, that I think there's just that deep determination that sits in there um, that you're just going to tackle anything that you do with the best that you can do. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that is probably definitely a driver in me. Um, but that's one that sort of really sticks out to me as a youngster. I like, gee, that I was very different and people wouldn't pass me the ball because I wasn't good enough. Um, and that was not going to stick with me. So Good. I love that. Now, what would you say are one or two things that you've had to sacrifice majorly uh, to be where you are today? Um, I think over the journey of time, both being sort of a player um, is, and now as a travelling physio, is that's probably I've sacrificed some family time. I might have missed some family events along the way. Mm. But in saying that, I made the decision once I had young children that I wouldn't travel internationally. Okay, so I worked domestically within Australia and kept building good profiles in there but really had time for my family and really coming back to this international travel like my youngest is now in year 11 so he, you know my kids are more independent now um, so they need me less so I feel less guilt around that but I'd say probably you know um, you know I may have missed an uncle's funeral or you know because I'm just in a different place or I may have missed an engagement party or a wedding you just miss those sorts of things along the way um, but then I sort of balance that with what I have achieved and am I happy with what I'm doing in my life? And that's a big yes. So I just hope those that are closest to me understand that. Um, and most of my family do. Most of my siblings are extremely supportive of what I'm doing and very proud of what I'm doing. And, um, and so is my husband and I think so are my, my children. And I, you know, I've got two daughters and I'm hoping that I'm being a good role model for them as well. Yeah, perfect. No, fantastic. They've got they're so such a supportive network. Um, are they basketball players, your daughters? 
Uh, no, one's a dancer, doesn't like the basketball court at all. The other one was a basketball, but now it's more focused on netball. Oh, perfect. Nice. Hmm. Wish them all the best down their journey, wherever it might take yeah. them. I will just want to touch on that quickly as well. Uh, what was it like being a mum in the in the industry? Uh, I've never talked to a, an interviewer, um, someone who's gone through that themselves. Was it challenging? Did challenge uh, traveling domestically and you know looking after two daughters at the same time? Oh, two daughters and a son. I've got three. Oh, um, yeah. So it's my son that's the youngest. It's in year eleven. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, it's challenging. I guess I can't do it unless I had a really supportive husband who was ready just to sort of take over, um, you know, some of the duties that I would do when I'm at home. Yeah, you know, in the earlier days, I had to leave copious lists of things, you know, um, exactly what had to go in lunch boxes, you know, all sorts of things. Um, but, you know, he's been fabulous and I couldn't do it without that sort of support, without having that other support person there to be able to look after the kids. And, uh, while my mum was alive, she also would come over in, in times when I was away. So I would actually foresee that as an opportunity for my kids to spend more time with their grandparents um, yep. and actually build those. So sometimes you actually have to take yourself back out of your children's lives to allow others in and enrich their lives. And that's a lesson that I learned is to be able to share your children around with people that you that are you know very close to them grandparents you know father um is really important and it's almost selfish as as a mum if I just think I'm going to have them all to myself and I'll be you know so input from all sorts of directions actually helps their development um so it's always been a juggle but um in some sort of way I just make it work (laughs) you made it work very well I think you've done that very well um, not that I'm experienced in that field at all. So but <laughs> it sounds like you've switched on and uh, by the sounds of it, you raised three pretty determined and awesome kids. So good on you. Yeah, thank you. Um, now I've got to ask you the next question is the, probably the biggest question of the day. So take a minute to just settle, uh, recollect your thoughts and give me your best answer. But what is your best dad joke? Oh, bad. Well, I'm terrible at joke telling, but That's here's right. one for you. Uh, and I thought I'd make it a little bit uh, related to physio. My physio said I had to do lunges to stay in shape. And the answer is, well, that's that would be a big step forward, wouldn't it? <laughs> there you go. There's a dad joke. Oh, that's... It's not a best one, but it's a dad joke. <laughs> All right, it's physio. It's, it's strength and conditioning related. I like it. Um, yeah, but it's, what, what requires in a dad, what is required in the dad joke is, A, it's simplicity. B, it's... Uh, your react how it makes you react, uh, and and see probably how bad it is. You know. Yeah, they're bad. <laughs> they're horrible. Um, I wonder why mum jokes aren't a thing. I wonder if they're the opposite. Are they quite good? I'm not too sure. <laughs> but um, I, I like that. I'd, I'd give that. A, I'd give that a close oof, three to four out of five. I've got to still find out what makes a. Five I'll take that because I'm a terrible joke teller. <laughs> I'm still. I'm going to find out what exactly makes a five out of five, and then I'll I'll come back to you with a with yeah. a, a with a reward system. Um, but just finishing off, Gaylene, have you got any kind of um, what? Just key. You've given plenty of advice throughout this whole chat, which has been fantastic. But any kind of things on the top of your head that you would recommend uh, for advice for any kind of up and coming physios or coaches in the industry coming maybe out of uni or ones that are already in it? 
Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's advice I've given to someone else just recently, but it's, I think what I've probably described with my own life, my own work journey is that there's been quite some chapters in it. You know, there's been, you know, there's been time where I've taken some back time to do look after my kids. There's been times now where I'm travelling more internationally. And I think as a young physio, I think in my 20s, I just wanted to go and achieve everything I could. Um, and now I look back with a slightly uh, older head and I think the advice I would give is that you don't have to achieve it all at once. There can be chapters to your to your work life, to your, you know, your world, um, and don't be too down if you don't tick off something in one chapter. You might get there in the next one or, you know, there'll be some underlying themes where you keep things working through like a good storybook does. It will have an underlying theme, but then each chapter will have its sort of highlights and lowlights. Um, and I think that's probably some of my advice is take it as a journey, not something that you have to dog it at and achieve everything all within a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. And enjoy the journey rather than just uh, trying to achieve that badge or that, that logo or that uh, tracksuit. That's right. And sometimes if people do try and achieve something too quickly, maybe they haven't quite got the skill set then to do it. But So when you have got it, you can then go and enjoy it um, and manage that journey really well. So, um, yeah, it's a journey. That's very good advice. I like that. Um, well, where can guys reach out and find yourself if you're if people want to uh, get in contact for some advice or maybe mentoring who knows but um you know or what, what's next for you as well um with the olympics being finished um so, well with the olympics being finished there um as long as i get a continued role staying on with the australian team the um the world champs are only next year like they're usually two years after the Olympics, but of course, the, so we've only got 12 months now until we've got another fairly major tournament being the World Cup. Um, so it, it we'll get a little bit of downtime and then we'll have to start. I think we'll have probably a fairly busy um, 2022, knowing that we didn't get enough gameplay in the lead up to the Olympics. We're going to have to find a solution. Um, so I think we're going to have a busy, um, so, you know, that's going to continue uh, with just balancing my clinic work and, you know, some travelling and just family life, it, I'm going to continue to juggle, I would think. Um, it's not, the next thing's not too far away. So, um, um, and uh, if people want to contact me um, through the Elfington Sports Medicine Clinic, um, the website there has probably got a link for an email um, on there. Just click on that. that. That'll find its way to me quite quickly. Um, but yeah, Gailene, you've, you've shared a lot of information and advice today, uh, which has been, uh, somewhat might've been hard to share, but the rest of it has been gold advice for guys coming up in the industry. So I really appreciate your time today. Um, I hope you have a nice rest of the evening in quarantine. I don't know what they've got set up for, <laughs> for dinner at the door, uh, when they come through. Yeah, dinner at the door. Yeah. Yeah. I hope maybe the family can reach out for an Uber Eats to come and give you something special. Uh, I'm not sure if that's allowed or not, but for, for us, that's just, that's all we have time for. So um, again, I appreciate your time, but apart from that, we're all done. Thank you for having me. No worries. Speak to you soon. Okay. See you. So thanks, Gaylene, for jumping on the podcast. Um, appreciate you spending some time talking to me during your quarantine. We spoke about mental toughness within her practice, but also mental toughness of doing what she does, but also being able to uh, do what she does while being away from home, which can be quite tough uh, for anyone. 
um, how she supports the Opals and how she did that tough over the Olympic campaign, uh, how she's just someone who needs to be always ready to talk and always ready to support anyone in her situation, so the athletes and, and clientele coming through her way. And she also touched on the necessity of a sports psych and how performance stress and stress around injuries really can add up to uh, mental deterioration within athletes. So uh, it was good to get her point of view on that. And finally, we talked about the pressure on the world stage and how she's built a relationship with this team over some time. So just didn't feel too much pressure being on that stage as that's has come through the preparation. So it's, uh, it's good to get that point of view on that. But if today has hit any kind of trigger for you for your own mental health or your own mental wellness, uh, don't be afraid to reach out to myself or Gayleen. Uh, we'll have a chat and get through it. But uh, for today, that's all we have time for, so I'll speak to you guys next time.